so really the reason why I'm interested in tennis is not because of the ball going back and forth over the net. Mm -hmm. It's because of the change that occurs. And I see it all the time in people becoming more confident. Mm -hmm. There's some women I coach that have never competed before and it's the first time. And they're so excited and so nervous and, and they find strength within themselves. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I talk with fascinating, talented, and influential guests who reflect on the adventures and challenges of aging and who are living their lives with vibrance and purpose. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist, writer, and Zestful Ager. And if you like this podcast, you'll love my companion course, Zestful Aging, Simple and Sustainable Habits for Health and Longevity. You'll have access to what I've learned from being a psychotherapist for 30 years and the latest research on what habits really matter and contribute to vibrant aging. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. Last week, we spoke with Colleen Wheatmartian of Your Literary Prose, and she knows all about helping people learn how to write either blogs or articles or anything, even journals. She talks about some really great guidelines on how to start your writing and express yourself. And so that's a, a very interesting and practical uh, interview. I think you'll enjoy. And then next week, we speak with Bill Protzman, who's a concert pianist who does really interesting work with at-risk populations, including the homeless population in his hometown of San Diego. Well, I have my Jack Russell Terrier Sparky beside me, my coffee in my hand. So let's begin. So today we have the pleasure of speaking with Giada Storman live, who is a U.S. and Canadian tennis coach and three-time Canadian senior doubles champion. She's also a sociologist, a certified forest yoga teacher, and has spent many years exploring yoga and meditation. Her brand new book, On the Ball, Doubles Tennis Tactics for Recreational Players, began as notes prepared for her students, and eventually she had so many drafts for different levels of students and so many pages, she decided to put them together in one convenient book. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. So this is a lovely treat uh, to have you here live in my office. Um, let me start with the question about you're an accomplished tennis player and it's been a big part of your life. And I'm curious what made you decide to write the book now in this phase of your life? I started once before, actually about five years ago. And like many things, didn't get finished. And in the winter of 2018, I actually hired a life coach, uh, Dr. Deb Butler, to work on my weight. And it's not that I was really, really heavy, but I was putting on 
like 20 extra pounds after menopause and I was frustrated because I couldn't take it off. And working with her over about four months really taught me that I could do what I would say I was going to do. That was kind of the main learning from working with her. The follow through. The follow through, actually doing, you know, setting goals and meeting them. And in fact, when I first started writing the book, she coached me along for the first few months just to keep me on track. Uh, The book itself, I guess this time, I really had the support of the YMCA community where I work. Mm -hmm. I teach a number of women there, um, mainly the 40 plus crowd, but not exclusively by any means. And I, I coach a few men as well. I like to work in the morning. That's why I end up teaching women. And they were really encouraging and, and really said, go for it. Mm-hmm. So you sort of put this out there. You floated this as an idea like, oh, I've got these notes. I'm thinking about making a book. And then they got excited with you. I think I remember the first time I mentioned it to them, I was saying that one of my dreams is to teach tennis at Omega, which mm-hmm. is a spiritual center downstate New York a ways. Mm-hmm. And I said, to do something like that, you have to have a book. So mm-hmm. I'm going to write the book first. Mm-hmm. And it took me a couple years after that to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't actually made any application to Omega <laughs> yeah. yet. Well, but, if, you, you might also want to go to Kripalu because they think they compete for, for people. <laughs> that's true. I, I'm not so sure that Kripalu has tennis courts any ah, longer. Good, good point. But it it turns out that having taken a year to write the book, I need to spend at least a year marketing the book. Uh You know, I I think it's a wonderful book. I'm very happy with it. And the reviews I've got so far are really great. Uh But unless people know about the book, they're not going to buy it. Uh So I'm committed to that. And that's probably even more of a challenge than writing the book because it's even more unknown. When you say unknown, you mean you're not used to being a marketer, and is that what you mean, a PR person? Yeah. As a yoga teacher, I've actually always had to market myself, but then it was a local marketing. So with the Mm -hmm. book marketing, it's more getting online and getting on podcasts, thank you, Mm -hmm. and spreading it through the world, which is not something I've ever undertaken. Mm, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the patterns here and how you are somebody whose job is to make, you know, connections and, um, and, and that whole teaching thing. It sounds like there's some crossover between that and then also teaching about your book and what you offer off the court. Sure. And it's very different working individually on the court with people Mm -hmm. and doing all the email and the technology. When (laughs) when I I met with you today, I said one of the most challenging things is the technology. Mm -hmm. Being born in 1961, I'm not, didn't grow up with it. Mm -hmm. And that I really am having to to work with. And and it, it takes so much time. And I also want to be playing and on the court coaching mm-hmm. also I teach yoga so the the thought of spending a lot of time sitting marketing is a little tough yet mm-hmm. I must say it took me a year sitting to write the book 
you know, it was a lot more hours sitting than I'm used to. Mm-hmm. So some of this has been a, a challenge just to who you are and your lifestyle. It just doesn't necessarily fit with what you do. Sit down, you know, do the Google, do the reaching out, all of that. Yeah, I think it's a real learning process how to stay focused in it all because there's so many directions that one can go in book marketing. I see. So hence I did um, get the help or I have the help of a book launch coach Mm -hmm. and a system. I'm someone who likes to have a strategy and tactics, obviously. My book is about tennis tactics. Yes. And I have confidence that I can plug away. But it's not as clearly defined as writing the book. And once I got go- going on that and mm-hmm. had written the first draft, it was like it had a life of its own. Really? And I just kept after it. And the editing took way longer than I realized. Mm-hmm. But that's what made it a truly great book rather than a mediocre book. I love how many diagrams there are. And I've looked at tennis books before and the diagrams or even on YouTube But for some reason, and I don't know whether it's maybe because you're not trying to do 20 processes in the same diagram, but they're very clear. And this, you know, there's a a shading for the way you're supposed to move. It's fairly, you know, I I found it to be accessible and manageable. And I have to say in the past, when there are diagrams, you know, I just sort of look at them and then (laughs) turn the page. So that was uh, very clear. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you feel that way. <laughs> I, Even though I played tennis since I was 10 years old, and I was always a good doubles player and a natural, mm-hmm. I really didn't learn how to play doubles. It, it wasn't really being taught, not even in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, singles was taught, a little bit of strategy. Mm-hmm. But doubles, you just kind of went out there and hit cross court and served and volleyed. That was back tried in the day. Po- tried to poach. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was about it. it. So in 2006, I started working with a doubles partner, and I learned a lot from books. I think I went through three different books, and then we would practice it and try it out, and then when I started coaching more, I'd try it out with my students. Mm -hmm. So that's really how I learned, not from other coaches for the most part. I see. But these books are complicated, and Uh recently I, I reread them in preparation for writing my book. Yes. And really, I had to read them two or three times. And I'm like, I've played all my life. And I, <laughs> right. So, Those poor schlubs who are trying to figure it out on their own, little, you know, 3-0 players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's a question that you may not have been asked before, but it occurs to me because I love tennis and I'm also a psychotherapist. Can you, can you talk some about the relationship with your doubles partner. What, what is it like? What are the challenges? Um, and what are the parts that are really wonderful? Well, first of all, it's a real gift to find a partner, a regular partner. Mm-hmm. And I had a partner, Anne-Marie Vick, for 10 years. We, we partnered together. She moved away a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And we practice together and we'd plan matches beforehand and talk about them afterwards and became very good friends over the years. Mm -hmm. And on the court, you just get to know what the other person's going to do. 
intuitively, and you can also learn to develop specific plays. There's also the aspect if one player's down, the other one knows how to lift them up. Uh-huh. So that's if you have a regular partner, but most players don't. Most players with play with many different people. And then you really need to learn how to be supportive with a, with a new player, with a new partner, and, and that's pretty mm-hmm. tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to admit there's some people I find really difficult to play with. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I generally can play with almost anyone, but people that are very hard on themselves, I uh, find that really difficult to play with. So they get frustrated and, uh, you know, and then they start that downhill spiral yeah. of, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the energy is... I can play with a weaker player, uh-huh. but it's if someone's negative that it really bothers me. Mm-hmm. I have never had the misfortune of playing with someone who is negative about me. Uh-huh. I think that occasionally happens, and that's a big no-no, and um, I've never really had to endure that, but I have heard other people that have. That's really tough. That probably wouldn't be a partnership that continues then, I would imagine. No. <laughs> They, they get a, uh, they get a what, is, a, what is it called? Conscious uncoupling or whatever the celebrity term is now for separation. So I understand you took some time off of your beloved tennis to focus on yoga. Is that right? Yes. And I'm just curious how you came to that decision and, and what, what came out of it. Well... Like many things in my life, the decision sort of unfolded. That was in 2014. Okay. I, in, in the fall of 2013, I was diagnosed with breast cancer for a second time. Oh. And at that point, I was doing a lot of coaching at the Y, coaching both adults and kids. And I was competing. And it just got to be too much. I might not have taken the time off the tennis that I did, but that very year I got bumped up to a 5-0, which is a level that around here, they aren't any teams. We're just not a big enough mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't able to, to compete. I think um, after I stopped my job coaching at the Y because it was just too much dealing with all the kids and I was exhausted. Mm-hmm. I decided I wanted to do a yoga teacher's training. Mm-hmm. I had taught yoga for many years, but they kind of weren't teacher's trainings before I, when I started teaching. Oh, I see. So I thought, it's time I got my 200-hour. Everyone has a 200-hour now. <laughs> and then I, I looked around here, and there were some good trainings, but I thought, you know, I want to learn with someone who's been doing yoga at least as long as me. Mm-hmm. So I started when I was 20. Mm-hmm. And... I started Googling and looking around and found Anna Forrest, who's a a dynamite teacher. She's one of the modern masters. And where is she from? She is from California originally. I see. But she travels all over the world. Ah. And it happened that there was a training in New Haven. Connecticut? Yes. I lived there, yes. Where I could drive. And I finished my last surgery about February 14th, and I started this training in May. So it was a tremendous focus for me to, to get in shape, to get strong enough 
to go and do this month-long training. It was a month-long intensive. Wow, so you lived in New Haven yes. for a month away from your family. Yes. Having just had surgery. Yes. That's a lot of things going on. It, it was. I, I tend to gravitate towards intensity. <laughs> and Anna is very intense. It mm-hmm. was... the I've done a lot of different trainings and therapy and the like. I have to say that month long was the most challenging training I've ever done mm-hmm. and probably the best. It was I incredible. See. And do you credit your yoga practice and the intensity? Do you credit it for helping your recovery? Oh, absolutely. Um, the tennis and the yoga has the been tennis important. The tennis and the yoga. Yeah. Um, because this was the second time. I went yoga the first time when I had breast cancer, which was 2005, I found tennis. Oh. Or we found tennis. I didn't realize that's the way it went. I had this idea that because I know you played in college Mm -hmm. and then you played, I mean, you've played a lot as an adult and I didn't realize that it it, um, paired up with the cancer diagnosis. Yeah, I, I played in college, mm-hmm. and then like many college players that don't go on to be a coach or a professional, I quit, mm-hmm. and then I found it again, actually living in India, of all things, mm-hmm. in 1995, and I played a lot, and that's when I got my coaching certificate, was in I 1995, see. but when I arrived here in 1999, I didn't jump right into coaching, mm-hmm. I actually went to massage school and became a massage therapist. I see. Um, my life, or my career path has been a lot about the body, but it hasn't been a straight path by any mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And I became a massage therapist, and I had quite a full practice when I was d- diagnosed in 2005. Mm-hmm. And that came as a shock. I, I was like the healthy, healthiest person I knew. A lot of people were shocked. And it sent me for a spin. And at that point, I let go of my massage practice mm-hmm. because I knew I needed to heal. And I started to play tennis at that point again. And after every surgery, it was like, how fast can I get back on the court? It was a touchstone. And before long, I started to want to coach. And then a team asked me to coach, and then another team. And then shortly after that, I met Anne-Marie, and we started playing together. So from 2006 to 13, I was pretty busy with the playing and coaching tennis, all the while still teaching one yoga class a week at that point. Hey, Cesspilagers. Last year, I attended the International Federation on Aging's Global Conference in Toronto, and they've announced the 15th Global Conference on Aging for Niagara Falls, Ontario, from November 1st through 3rd, 2020. 
Zestful Aging Podcast is a proud partner for this conference, and I encourage you to all consider attending. The conference features prominent experts presenting and discussing critical issues within the field of aging. So head on over to ifa2020.org to learn more. And I hope to see you in Niagara Falls in November. You know, it's interesting. I wrote an article many years ago, and in fact, I showed it to Marion at the Drumlins, and she was going to put it out, and it never happened. But I talked about tennis as a spiritual practice, and I'm wondering if it's a, it, it's got a spiritual piece for you, if there's some spirituality for you when you are on the court. Absolutely. I mean, tennis is part of life just like anything else. Mm. And actually, the first line in my book, it says, um, this book may change your game, it may even change your life. Yes. Mm. Let's say you're a player, and you can't seem to find a a partner Mm. that wants to play with you. And you look within yourself and figure out, well, what is it about myself that is making it difficult to find a partner? Mm -hmm. And... Well, the example I gave, maybe I'm very hard on myself, which actually I'm not. But mm-hmm. if if one figured that out, um, that could then be transformative in life. So really, the reason why I'm interested in tennis is not because of the ball going back and forth over the net. Mm-hmm. It's because of the change that occurs. And I see it all the time in people becoming more confident. Mm -hmm. There's some women I coach that have never competed before and it's the first time. And they're so excited and so nervous and and they find strength within themselves. Um, For me, I actually found it pretty difficult to compete as an adult. It came as a surprise, Mm -hmm. but I was way more nervous than I was when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And it's taken a lot of time to work through that. Interestingly enough, coming back to competing after doing all this yoga, I feel calmer and more able to deal with the difficult situations that come up on the court under pressure. And you even talk about that in the shot cycle, that you um, you hit the ball and then there's... A- a kind of moment of, I, I, I'm going to put words in your mouth, but a mindfulness, a reset, an exhale. You're not just not rushing to home, you know, the hash mark and, and slamming away, that you integrate this, okay, awareness, pause. Absolutely. You mentioned the shot cycle, which is the core of my book, which is also the core of the Canadian coaching system that I learned in. Mm-hmm. And... We always think of tennis in terms of the hitting. And if you look at pictures, you're always going to see, you know, the ball and the racket. But there's a lot more to it than that. There's the receiving phase when the ball's coming. And we find that people that are like chronically late in their life Uh are often late receiving the ball on the court. How interesting. And, And interestingly enough, as we begin to slow down and see the ball and receive then maybe that hecticness changes in life. It's magic. The centering phase is my favorite because there's this split second where 
it's it's right it happens as the opponent hits the ball Mm -hmm. but it's where the energy is gathered and quiet and ready to go in any direction Mm -hmm. and it is uh ideally a a moment when the mind is calm Mm Oh, I got excited about this. I, I can see that. And there's this openness because you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you can see the your opponent's positioning, but, um, you know, you're lining it up, but you're not exactly sure where it's coming. So you have to have this sort of large awareness. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, you talk about, you know, sort of this openness with your eyes, sort of a wideness, uh, uh, taking it all in. Yeah, one of the things I teach um, at a at quite an early stage, probably earlier than most coaches, is how to be aware of what your opponents are doing mm-hmm. and still be centered in oneself. Right. I joke and, sometimes that you have to be a bit like a reptile with one eye on your opponent and one eye on the ball, and your eyes are sort of in going in two different directions. Uh, yes and no. I mean, sure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be that would be crazy. Yes, <laughs> that would be hard to be centered yes. in that position. So it's um, it's both. Mm-hmm. It's both. I can speak with you and also see you at the same time. Mm-hmm. Now, my book is really about the point and the moments within the point. Mm -hmm. I don't go a whole lot into the mental game, not because it's not important, because actually it's really important. It's probably the most important thing in terms of winning and losing. Mm -hmm. If you watched Wimbledon yesterday and the day before, we, Mm -hmm. we witnessed that in some amazing finals. And the reason why I couldn't do everything, and this part is what I'm really good at, the tactics and where to be on the court. Mm-hmm. I also, I don't really have the overall system yet for how to teach the mental game. Okay. There are a lot of coaches out there who are doing a pretty good job of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure how to teach it yet. I've got an idea. Mm-hmm. So that maybe will come later or in some bonus material. Oh, that sounds wonderful. You talked about the women that... You're, uh, you've seen develop, and I'm going to take a, a just a crazy guess and imagine that the women are a little bit more hesitant to be aggressive and to, to feel that sense of competition um, and feel like they walk on the court and they own the court. Is that your experience, or is it, is it different? Women as opposed to men? Yes. I haven't worked with that many men to see the comparison, mm-hmm. but I think I could make that tentative generalization. Mm-hmm. But what I'd add to it is that a lot of women don't think they're competitive or have never got competed, and when they get on the court, they become very fierce. Uh-huh. Surprisingly so to themselves. Really? <laughs> And I think that's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. Like, you're a tennis player. You know that sometimes things get pretty heated in competition. Mm -hmm. And the the best of ourselves can come out, but also the worst of ourselves. Mm -hmm. But my goodness, it's honest. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I love about competition is that we're, we're very vulnerable out there. And 
we're putting ourselves on the line. It's, I mean, it is a performance as such. But there's going to be a winner and loser, and it's clear who that is. It really shows character. It absolutely does. I've seen that, um, that it can really show your character. And there are people on the courts uh, nearby that when they come on the court, the public court, I just kind of, you know, grimace because I know there's going to be a lot of profanity, shouting, carrying on, and just sort of wondering about how that must carry on in their personal lives. It can get really uh, intense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I teach to really keep coming back to ourselves, shake it off when the when the emotion comes, mm-hmm. to not just push it away, to notice it's there, mm-hmm. and then to breathe. And that's, I think you asked me earlier about the connection of yoga and tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the connection I feel is to be able to just come back to myself and remember where I am and feel my feet on the court and look at the sky or the, the curtains if we're indoors. Mm-hmm. What piece do you, if any, I mean, do you bring in gratitude as well when you're on the court? Is that a piece of your practice? Absolutely. Gratitude is one of the best way to deal with nerves in tennis and life in general. Just to remember wow, I can run, you know, I, I have the wherewithal to be out here playing tennis and I have shoes. Um, in yoga, I feel the same way. I'll say to my students, you know, be grateful that you can get up and down off this yoga mat. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has that luxury or that mm-hmm. ability. Mm-hmm. No, that's really important. Do you want to say a quick piece about your forest yoga? Sure. Ooh, where to start? (laughs) Well, first of all, it's not about being out in the forest. Mm -hmm. It's forest is comes from the name of the founder, Anna Forest. Uh And it has two R's. Uh And Anna teaches the yoga in a very, very strong way. She's she's fierce. In fact, she has a book called Fierce Medicine. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot about the postures and building strength. Well, the the foundation is breath, spirit. Oh my goodness, integrity and strength. Those are the four cornerstones. Mm-hmm. So, in in a group with her, sometimes people have emotional releases in a class. It occasionally happens, which is very rare in yoga. Yoga traditionally was controlled. Mm. So she studied with some of the founders like BKS Iyengar, but also with um, Native American medicine people. Mm-hmm. So she has a very interesting background. Mm-hmm. So for me, I took this very strong practice and where I teach at the Y in hour-long classes, to me, I've really taken her focus on the breath and teaching people to breathe, the real clarity and cueing, And one of the things I love about this form is the sequencing really makes sense for my body. Um, People can get competitive in yoga, as have I, just like anything. Mm -hmm. And I have gotten hurt in yoga before. Mm. And this style, the sequencing just 
really feels good for my body. I, if I pay attention, I don't get tweaked in yoga. Mm-hmm. And having trained so extensively, I did a year-long mentorship afterwards as well, mm-hmm. um, as well as various workshops. I really feel like now I have something to teach my students. Now, I have to admit, I wish more of my tennis students would come to yoga because for me, it's like my right and left hand. I see. Unfortunately, that isn't the case, but but a few have come and a few have come and now I see them doing yoga other places, mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, being an athlete all my life, the yoga has really helped me both physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful to have trained with such a strong teacher and been able to train personally with her. Mm-hmm. And at this point, I'm not doing further training in yoga. I feel like I've really got something to teach, but I just do two one-hour classes a week, and I have I a great see. group of students. Mm-hmm. And it's the tennis where I feel like I'm really unique because I, I played as a kid, I played in India, I've competed as an adult, mm-hmm. I did my coaching training in Canada, many many different things, mm-hmm. and I can write. You know, being a sociologist and having had research reports public published in the past. Mm-hmm. gave me the confidence that I could pull together all this information. Oh, you're a gather. Yeah, I'm thinking, too, I know you did the Gigi Fernandez um, uh, work, and so you're really doing, you're meeting the, the, the gurus. Yes. You're really with the, the teachers. I, I try to, to train with the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not? And some of these best trainers will, will give so much of themselves in a month or in three days. Uh-huh. Did you talk to the Gigi about the yoga? Is that a conversation the two of you talked about in terms of how to round out your tennis? We haven't had a chance to talk much about yoga. Mm-hmm. She's a busy woman. She's giving. It looks like she's giving a lot of trainings all over the world. You know, she's just a few years younger than me, and she also has nine-year-old twins oh my which is goodness. remarkable I know. oh my goodness <laughs> oh my goodness so um is there anything that as we wrap up anything you'd like to share with our listeners in terms of you know you talked about having trouble following through that it's something that you really wanted to do you know you had something to share you have a passion um for this topic I think a lot of people listening are in our age range. They're maybe facing empty nests. They may be uh, in a real transitional part in their lives, in their relationships, in their career, and they want to do something new. They know, you know, we know we have years ahead, but mm-hmm. it's not endless either, right? We know that there's an end now. Um, and I, my sense is that people have some great ideas for writing books, for, you know, maybe starting a new um, a project or a sport. Do you have any advice about how to help them get off the ground with those things? First of all, it's never too late. Ah, uh, okay. One of my students who actually became my tennis content editor, Valerie Clark, Mm -hmm. started playing tennis two and a half years ago. And she had never played a sport. No, that's not quite true. She'd never really been sporty. She'd she'd ridden horses and the like, but she had no idea that you could learn to play tennis as an adult. Mm -hmm. And she just 
put her whole heart into it mm -hmm. and full energy. And now she's actually trained as an instructor and she's coaching the beginners. Wow. Which frees me up to coach her level. Oh, nice. So it's, it's never too late. Um, that's the first thing. Mm -hmm. I guess expect it to be scary. Oh. And the, the the silliest things, seemingly silly things, can be scary. Like, in writing the book, I was scared of using Dropbox. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous now because it's so easy, but, but I was afraid of that. You've never done it before. And um, I was working with my brother. He, was my he is my designer for the book. Mm -hmm. And he kind of let it go as long as he could, and then finally he gently coached me. And now I use Dropbox. <laughs> Your Dropbox. So, so pro. not to not to be shy if something feels scary that you know shouldn't be to just feel that and and be okay with it. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to my final thing, which I think is the most important important is to find a coach. Mm -hmm. If you want to learn tennis, find a coach. If you want to lose weight find a coach. Mm -hmm. If you want to change your life, find a life coach. The The life coaching, the different coaching has really, really blossomed. And you don't have to be in person with the person. Mm -hmm. um, I even at one point, um, back in 2010, when I was competing and having a, like I said, it was I was finding it stressful. I worked with a sports psychologist I on see. the phone for 18 months. Mm -hmm. And it it costs some money. These people charge what they're worth. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, it's so worthwhile. In fact, I have a book launch coach. Mm -hmm. and, Sounds and like you can get a coach for everything. You can everything. get a coach for anything, yeah. yeah. Even a tennis coach. I mean, it's great to be on the court. But there are some good online tennis coaches that do it with video and the mm -hmm. like. And mm -hmm. I may move into that myself at some point. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm not sure where now it's Now that going. you're getting more comfortable with tech. Yes, right. right. <laughs> now that exactly. you know Dropbox, you know there's a lot, lot you can do. That's that's great. So, where can people find out more about you and and the book and all of that good stuff? I have a website. Mm -hmm. One of those things that was scary. Yeah, <laughs> and that's www.ontheballbook.com. Okay. And my email is the same, ontheballbook at gmail.com. Okay. I love hearing from people just to say hi, okay. to, to check in. My book's on Amazon. If you mm -hmm. go to Amazon and, and type in Doubles Tennis under books, you'll find oh. it pretty quickly. Okay. Um, it's available in ebook as well as paperback, although uh -huh. I love the paperback because it's designed to be just the right size to keep in your tennis bag. Oh, is that why? Because it yeah. is a really lovely little size. I was thinking that to myself, that there's something very, like, accessible and, yeah, and yeah. kind of cozy about it's, it. Um, <laughs> because these people can't, that our listeners can't see it, it's uh, it's horizontal. It's, it's landscape uh -huh, shaped. That's right, yeah. And it's quite light. Mm -hmm. And Val even actually found a pouch that... You can put it in. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you yes. one for yours, okay. um, so that it doesn't get messed up when it's in your bag. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, on the ballbook dot com, mm -hmm. um, and I have a email list, of course. Mm -hmm. I do a 
bi-monthly or twice a month newsletter. And it's not long. And even if you don't play tennis, my, my real interest is how does playing tennis change people's lives? So once a month, I feature a tennis player uh-huh. whose life has been changed through tennis. Uh-huh. And then the other time I'll offer tips. And, and it's just kind of lighthearted and positive and sort of good news in your mailbox. Good news. That's what we are all craving right now. Well, I really appreciate you coming to speak to us. You have so many experiences and such an interesting life and so much passion about this. Um, It's really been lovely to hear from you today. Thanks so much for, for having me. It's great to meet you and maybe we'll meet sometime on the court. I would love that. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. Next week, we speak with Bill Protzman, who's a concert pianist who does really interesting work with at-risk populations, including the homeless population in his hometown of San Diego. We get pretty metaphysical, so I think you'll enjoy that. Bill Protzman next week. In this phase of our lives, we're more aware that our time is precious, and we certainly don't want to waste it taking care of stuff that we no longer need, left over from a life that we are no longer living. We know we would feel better with less clutter and more open space, but we don't know how to get there. If this sounds familiar, I'd love you to check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. This course is different than others you may have tried because we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and tools to help you face the overwhelm and feelings that come up when you're going through your clutter. It's practical and realistic, and the lessons are short and punchy and very manageable, but it has the power to change your life. We all deserve to live in a peaceful home without the chaos of too much stuff. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest. See you then.